Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Because of that, enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. My title comes from verse 3. We've been talking about the faithfulness of God, and I'm glad to know that we are His people. Amen? Would you just shout that before we're seated? We are His people. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you to everyone who serves everywhere so we can worship the Lord. We're glad to welcome many people who watch online every week uh, out of an abundance of caution and all of the protocols. Thank you for understanding and obeying that and worship team. What a tremendous presence of God is here today. The month of August, we've been talking about the faithfulness of God. He is faithful to His principles, to His promises, to His people, and to His purpose. Psalm 100 tells us that we are His people. We belong to this faithful God. He is faithful to His people. Psalm 100 is a conclusion of similar songs that begin either at Psalm 91 or 93. Psalm 95, if you'd like to do a little homework, uh, is very similar to Psalm 100 in many ways. And from the beginning of Psalm 100, we know that this is a call to worship. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Not just the Jewish people, but all ye lands. We know that this psalm is going to encourage us. It's going to be celebratory. When you get into Psalm 100, you know it's going to be good in the presence of God. Now I know that worship can be contemplative and quiet, but it can also be loud and boisterous, enthusiastic, with all of our being being engaged in worship to God. Psalm 100 calls you to get off the couch if you're watching online. Or get out of your comfort zone if you're sitting in the house. Some people are in the couch while they're in the house. In their mind, right? On the couch, in the house, something like that. But Psalm 100 calls you to clear your throat, raise your voice, throw your hands in the air, and make a noise unto God that is joyful. Amen. And that joyful noise is obviously... A praise to the Lord. By implication, the Lord Jesus Christ should get the loudest, most joyful noise that ever comes from our lips. Amen? Amen. We should use a joyful noise to make a noise in the house of God. And every time we praise Him, we should speak it out. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence was singing. In the Bible, worship and service 
are inextricably connected. Jesus said to Satan, get thee behind me. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. All of us serve whatever we worship. Whatever we give ourselves to becomes our God, whether it is small G-O-D, an idol that we make in our lives, or capital G-O-D, Almighty God, Jehovah, who became our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6.13 when He said we should serve the Lord. And this verse calls us to serve the Lord with gladness, not with sadness. There are a lot of people that are sad in our world. They're depressed. They're medicated. They need special counseling. It's not just a passing thought. They're seriously sad in their life. But we who belong to Jesus Christ have the privilege, regardless of our circumstances, to serve the Lord with gladness. Let me just say this. It doesn't matter how bleak your future may be on earth. You have a hope of an eternity forever and ever with Jesus Christ so you can serve the Lord through the trial with gladness. There are, there are some sad Christians, some sad apostolic people that are focused more on the cost of discipleship than they are on the joy of their salvation. But Psalm 100 calls you to kickstart your worship, amen, and to serve the Lord with gladness and not sadness. Now while I'm on this little sidetrack, it also doesn't say serve the Lord with madness. There's a lot of angry people in our world. I know that's not shocking to you. Domestic violence, social unrest, rioting in our streets, Road rage, seething hostilities. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3 and 3 that in the last days people will be among many things fierce. Fierce, angry people. But set in contrast to the madness of the world is the gladness of the people of God. So you need to have a talk with your brain. And you need to tell your brain to train your fingers That when you're typing a message, that it should be a message of gladness and not sadness. A pity party is a lonely party. And it should be a message of gladness and not madness. Because we are called to serve the Lord. Not just for a moment of praise when the music is high and good and you're feeling good for a moment. We're called to serve the Lord every day of our lives to serve the Lord with gladness. And then he gives us instruction how to do that in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. When an Old Testament saint of God came to worship the Lord, they believed that they were coming into the presence of Almighty God. He inhabits the praises of His people Israel in the Old Testament. The word presence in the Hebrew is face. They believed that they were coming face to face with Almighty God and so they were coming into His presence face to face with singing. Serve the Lord 
with gladness, come before his presence with singing. So we're invited to come close to the Lord, not to be aloof and stoic and stolid. Now, I don't use the word stolid very much, but while I was typing my notes, I wrote stolid, and I thought, I'm not even sure I remember what stolid means. I ought to look it up. So I did. And it's a really good word to describe bad worship. Stolid means unresponsive, dull, emotionless, indifferent, and describing why all of that is true, slow-witted. So if you've been stoic and stolid in your worship, today I've come to wake you up with Psalm 100, that you are to serve the Lord with gladness and come into His presence with singing. Amen. If you've been socially distancing from God, it's time to draw near to Him with a full assurance of faith, knowing that He has taken your sins and put them behind His back, under the blood, in the depths of the sea, remove them as far as the east is from the west, and that you should come into His presence with a song of joy and gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Singing. Amen. Throughout the Bible, singing is spiritual and it is a form of worship. Now, I know there's a lot of singing that is secular and even some is sensual. I've not really come to preach against ungodly music here today, but singing awakens your spirit. Years ago, the old timer sang, there's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Amen. Fear not. I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, Jesus, he keeps me singing all the way. Today and or this past week rather, I was in my office working in it and I heard the voice of one of our staff members who is not known for having a melodious voice. But this tall young man was singing at the top of his lungs. That kind of narrows it down. Going up and down the hallway, maybe that was right after the gender reveal. No, that was before. He was singing and worshiping the Lord. The Lord told Job that in the beginning, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God, the angels, shouted for joy. When an evil spirit would come on King Saul, he would call for young David to play and give worship to the Lord and the evil spirit departed from him. When Elijah wanted to hear a word from the Lord. Second Kings 3, Elisha called for a minstrel to come play before him. And when the minstrel played, then the Lord began to speak to him. We sing old songs like I just quoted a little bit of and new songs. And the Bible tells us to sing unto him a new song and skill and play skillfully with a loud voice. Now I would love to stop and preach a while about play skillfully. Because there are some people that could, if they would, practice, but they don't, and they can't, but they should play skillfully with a loud 
noise. Would you just say loud for me? Thank you for saying it loudly. Our singing in the Bible is accompanied with music like harps and psalteries, timbrels, cymbals, trumpets, worship. The more the merrier. David was an inventor of musical instruments that were used to play in the orchestra to give glory to God. Our worship is to be joyful and filled with noise. Psalm 81, sing unto the God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Psalm 95, that kindred psalm to Psalm 100. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 98, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All the earth make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praises. I'm preaching to all the stoic, stolid people right now that who have, no matter who you are, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Whether you're shy and quiet or gregarious and outgoing, when you come into His presence, it is to be with singing, to play and sing and worship and give glory to the great Almighty God. Hallelujah. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Oh, let's magnify him and applaud him right now. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like preaching a little bit of Isaiah right now. Awake, awake. Put on your beautiful garments. It's time for the church to wake up to who we are. We are his people. Hallelujah. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. On the night in which he was betrayed, when Jesus left that time of washing feet and communion, they sung a hymn. I don't think it was from the old red songbook, but they sung a hymn. The apostle Paul taught that we should speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. If you never have a song, you need to get a song and sing a song because when you begin to sing unto the Lord, it lifts your spirits out of the doldrums, out of depression, out of the circumstances, and you realize that He is a great God over all the earth. Amen? Paul also taught, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Come before His presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. And then verse 3 gives us some understanding about this whole passage, which is kind of the focus of my message today, really all of Psalm 100. No. Would you just say no? No. Know you that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. The Lord is God. He made us. We're not self-made. And we are his people. Now the psalmist said to know that the Lord 
is God. He didn't say feel that he is God. Have an experience that makes you think that there is a God. He said that you need to know that he is God. Our worship is emotional. We are emotional beings. But our faith is not rooted in a feeling. Our faith is rooted in the nature of God and the promises of God that are yes and in Him, amen, that He is a faithful God. So we can know that the Lord is God, that our faith is rational, not irrational, and not emotion. It is anchored in an understanding of who God is, that He is the supreme authority of the earth, that He is God And beside him, there is no other. And it is he who has made us, amen, and not we ourselves. Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created him male and female. Genesis 2, 7, God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Genesis 5, in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him male and female created he them and blessed them. Job said that in the womb he made me and the spirit of God has given me breath. Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What a great psalm about God knew us before we were even born in our mother's womb. Amen? Isaiah 42, He that created the heavens gave breath to the people who live on the earth. Isaiah 43, The Lord said, For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Jeremiah 27, the Lord that made the earth made man and the beasts that live on it. And Malachi asked the question, have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? And Jesus quoted Genesis when he said in the beginning, God made them male and female. And Paul told the pagans at Athens, for in him we live and move and have our being. As certain of your own poets or philosophers have said, we are his offspring. So I want to just remind you that we are not self-made, that it is he who hath made us and not we ourselves. Anyone who says that they are self-taught, self-made, successful in their own right, and they don't owe anything to God, that they did it by their own ability or talent or work ethic, you need to point them to the book of Daniel and tell them the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who looked around at the magnificent kingdom that he had built And he said to himself, is not this the great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar said those words. And the Bible said that while those words were still in his mouth, that a voice fell from heaven 
and said, Nebuchadnezzar, boom, it's over. The kingdom is departed from thee. And for seven years, he lived like a madman. His hair, nails grew out like birds' feathers and claws. And seven years, he was completely insane. And at the end of seven years, his reason returned to him and and he had a different tune that he was singing then. Now he said, I bless the Most High and praise and honor him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is for generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth, even mighty King Nebuchadnezzar, that head of gold in the statue he saw, are reputed as nothing. And no one can stop God from what he's doing. At the end of it all, Nebuchadnezzar said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his works, his ways, judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Let me remind you that it doesn't take much for a man or a woman to think that they are something all by themselves. But I've come here today to tell you the reason we praise Him is because He belong, He, we belong to Him and it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Be careful when you think you're stronger or smarter or more wealthy or successful than the next person because of your own ability. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Amen. I'm glad that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But every day of our life, we ought to sing praises, give praises. We need to recognize that it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Amen. Psalmist 73 said, I got messed up when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious of the foolish. Psalm 73, you should read it again. But he said, I went into the house of God and I got a new perspective, right? I considered their end. He said, he has set them in slippery places. They look like they've got, you know, their portfolio is diversified and they are already, you know, they're going to tear down their barns and build bigger barns and say to their soul, eat, drink, be merry. You know, you got it all figured out. Everything is good for you. But the psalmist said he's got them set in slippery places and in a moment the rug of security can be pulled right out from under them and is all gone in an instant of time. He said that they're brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. So here's what we need to remember is that when ungodly people who are successful die, they will be failures forever. It doesn't matter how long they were a success in this life. If they die lost, they are failures forever. And then I want to talk about this. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Schools are starting back up. And our children, young people, college students, our world is inundated with this idea that there is no creator, that the intelligent design was all the result of a cosmic accident, a big bang that happened by itself, an evolution and natural selection and mutation. And here we are, millennial Billions of years later, walking around people. But I want to tell you that it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We need to understand that we cannot be undermined in our faith because of a theory that does not honor God. 
Now, I'm not here to preach and teach some kind of an apologetic on creation science. There are people more qualified to do that than me. But I want to tell you people of faith, not to let your faith be overthrown or undermined or don't be dissuaded in your walk with God. No matter what you hear, go back to the Bible. Or as I preached two weeks ago, look up in the sky and look at His covenant with day and His covenant with night to know that He is a creator of the ends of the earth. It is He who hath made us and not we ourselves. There's a natural outgrowth of people who believe that we just happened. If there's no God, then there's no, there's no demand. There's no moral code. There's no right and wrong. Live whatever way, any way you want to live because you choose your own destiny and your own values by which you live. I'm glad we have a God and a Bible that is transcendent of our own imagination, our own subjective reasoning that there is objective right and wrong. There is a God who rules in the heaven. It is appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment, we're facing that judgment to come and we need to remember that it is he who has made us and not we ourselves we are his people there are no values no absolute morals then there's really no reason to exist as one writer said the world is just a spinning mausoleum where we come live and die and cease to exist But that's not the way the Bible teaches it and that's not the way it will be for our lives will go on and on and on in eternity either in hell or in heaven so we need to make sure that our calling and election is sure that we don't just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 15 and said if there is no resurrection what advantage is it to being a Christian? That's why he said if if in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are above all men most miserable but now we know there is a resurrection. We know there's a future and an eternity and we are his people. And it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Amen. We are his people. I want to remind you that God gave you intrinsic value when he made you. The very fact that you're created in the image of God shows the great value that God places on you. You were made by God on purpose and for a purpose. Some of us, some of you, whatever may have been a, an accident to your parents, a lot may have happened to you in your life that makes you feel like you're just an accident, an imposter, that you're really not anything. But I want to assure you today that before you were born, he saw you. He knew you. That's why we believe in the sanctity of life, that we don't abort unborn babies because we believe that every life is sacred to God and that we, the chosen of God, we have been born again of water and spirit. We are, we are his people. We matter to God. When God looks at you, He doesn't look with you, look at you with ambivalence, like, eh, I don't know how I really feel about them. God loves you. He loves you. And to the saved, you are special to Him. We matter to God. Some of you have been degraded, rejected, run down, feel like you are not worth anything. I'm preaching to you today the truth of Psalm 100 that we are His people. Hallelujah. We are, He said, the sheep of His pasture. Now this is an amazing phrase and you could preach a whole sermon or sermons 
about the sheep of his pasture. The Bible is a book set in an agrarian age and shepherds and sheep and pastures and Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd and he, the shepherd lay, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want, I shall not lack. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The 23rd Psalm, probably the most common, well-known passage in the Bible along with John 3.16. But he is my shepherd. And with shepherd there comes care. Throughout the Bible, God loves his people. He takes care of them. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that He takes care of lilies and birds and He cares about the natural world. But He says, but you are more valuable than they. You're, more, you're worth more to God than even a bird that He sees die. God loves you. We are His people. So quit believing the lie that you don't matter, that you don't mean anything, that life is not worth living. But I want to assure you today that we are God's special creation. We're God's own special people. And those of us who have been born again, the Apostle Peter would write to us, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You think, wow, I don't, I don't really feel like royalty, but I am. And you're a royal priesthood. You're a peculiar people, a set-apart people, God's own special people, a holy nation. We would show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness and marvelous light. He went on to say that in times past, you were not a people. You were on the outside looking in to the promises of God. But now you are His people. In the past, you had no mercy. You had not obtained mercy. But now you have obtained mercy. Amen. I want to assure you that you belong to God, that we are His people. Isaiah 49, the Lord speaks to His people who felt forgotten. Zion, the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord asks the question, Can a woman... Forget her nursing child. Well, you're thinking, no, that's impossible. But Jesus or the Lord said in Isaiah 49, surely they may forget. It is possible for a woman to be hardened against her maternal instinct and let her baby die of exposure. But the Lord said, even though a human being, a mother, could possibly forget her child, yet the Lord said, I will not forgive you. The Lord said, I have inscribed you in the palms of my hands. Anybody old enough to remember a time when you wrote something in your hand? Can I see a show of hands, palms? You wrote it there so you wouldn't forget it. Not a bad idea if it's important enough, right? Anniversary. Spouse's birthday. Father's Day. <laughs> Pastor's Day. No. The Lord said, it's impossible for me to forget you. I put you in a place where you're ever before me. I've engraved your name in the palms of my hand. His thoughts towards you, Psalm 40 said, are more than you can number. Let me tell you about your God, your shepherd, the one you belong to. He is the avenger of your enemies. Amen. He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He said, if anybody offends one of these little ones, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around their neck for them to be cast in the water. I'm going to take care of my people. He is your avenger. He will fight your battles for you. He is also your advocate. 
If you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who goes before the throne of God as a lawyer for us to come and give forgiveness in our lives. And not only is he your avenger, not only is your advocate, but he is also your ally. This is so important that God is not just letting you live your life doing the best you can. But he is with you, fighting for you, walking through life with you. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. In the Greek, that word is orphans. I will not leave you without a father, but I will come to you. Isaiah 52 is battle words. The Lord says, you're not going to leave in a hurry running for your lives. But the Lord will go before you. He's out in front of you in the battle. But he said, yes, the God of Israel will protect you from behind. The King James says, rear word. He is both in front of you and he guards you from behind. No one else can do that. In fact, the Bible said the angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him. Amen. I'm glad to know that we are his people, that he is our advocate. Amen. He is our avenger. He is our ally, that we're special to him. We belong to him. We're his people. So since we are, verse 4 tells us there's an obedient response. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. I could preach a series of messages on worship. Come close with confidence in worship. You come into the gates, you enter with thanksgiving reminding yourself of what he's done for you and then his course with praise, who he is, his character, amen? You may not be healed yet, but he is still a healer. You may not be delivered yet, but he is still a deliverer and past experience with our faithful God helps us be thankful, but when we have not seen the victory yet, we can still praise him for who he is, amen? Be thankful unto him and bless his name. That's what worship should be. Verse 5. For the Lord is occasionally good. He is good all the time. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, bigger than the sun, better than the sun, with whom is no variableness, there's no, there's no seasonal change, nor shadow of turning. He doesn't have a day and night. The darkness and the light are all the same to God. Amen? So go back a couple weeks ago to his covenant with day and with night. But God's covenant with his people is more sure than his covenant with the day and with the night. The Lord is good. And because we need it, his mercy is everlasting. And Lamentation says his mercies are new. How often? Every morning. And his truth, many translations say his faithfulness endures to all generations. Think about that. Those of you who are raising young children, those of you who are pondering, bringing Children into the world. There's always that fear of what in the world is going on. What's going to happen in our culture? What are my kids? How are my kids going to be raised? 
We think that these are the worst of times, but go back in history. These are not the worst of times. And I have a promise over my family and over our church and over truth that His truth endures to all generations. If this is the last generation or not, it doesn't matter. His truth will endure to your generation and your children's children's generation. His truth endures to all generations. So let's rewind to verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So what are you going to do about that? Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Why don't you stand right now and start blessing the name of the Lord. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations with a loud voice, with a boisterous praise. Why don't you sing and praise our mighty God? That's it. Keep holding on to your faith. Amen. Keep holding on to your faith. The grace of God is sufficient to get you through what you're going through right now. The love of God is stronger than the hate of this world. Amen. His mercy will keep you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, I give you honor praise. We're going to praise the Lord in a boisterous, upbeat, celebratory way. But right now, I just want to pray. I want to speak to you just for a moment. Before we pray, I want to speak to you. I'm just really, you know, over and over in the last few weeks, I was kind of sick and tired of the devil beating up on my people. On his people. You know, you're my people, I'm your people, right? Leave my people alone. <laughs> Accusing. Hallelujah. Some of you, like you've listened to this message, but you're still sitting back there like, I don't deserve it, I'm unworthy. And over and over and over, you've just had this message pounded into your head. Guess what? Join the club. None of us deserve the mercies of God. None of us deserve Calvary. That's not even the point of Calvary. The entire Old Testament, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Paul saw the law, said the law entered basically to teach me that I was a sinner. It revived and I died. The law taught me that I can't live for God in my own ability by a moral code alone. But I've got to have the Spirit of God. 
That's why Joel prophesied it in Joel 2. And Isaiah prophesied it about it in Isaiah 28. And Jeremiah prophesied it about it in, in Jeremiah 33. And that's why Jesus said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Thank God. So I want to assure you today that in spite of yourself, in spite of what's been told to you or how you feel, that we are His people. Why don't you praise Him right now? Would you open up your heart and allow Jesus Christ to show His love to you? He has set His love upon you. You're His beloved.